The Psalms that we read, did you notice they all came from kind of like one part of the Psalms, right? Uh, those are called Hallel, Hallel Psalms. And they are uh, read uh, uh, on a variety of holidays, uh, the, uh, the time of Passover, uh, the time of uh, Shavuot, uh, and Sukkot, uh, and uh, several other times on, uh, on holidays when uh, uh, there is uh, a, a real sense of rejoicing in what God has done. And uh, the fact of the matter is uh, uh, that the reminding ourselves of, uh, of the resurrection of the Messiah is so important and is such an integral part of our faith and part of the historic Jewish belief that it's like a high holy day. Uh, that it's not just like this extra thing. And I know that, uh, you know, many Messianic congregations don't, don't have a special day. Some do. Everyone believes, you know, we all hold to it and all that. Uh, but uh, it is a, uh, certainly a, a very important uh, day for us. Unfortunately, in the Jewish community, most people are not aware of the historic faith. In other words, what historically do we believe as Jews? You know, if you ask uh, most Jewish people, they say, Shema, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai I don't know, you know. Uh, there isn't really what you'd call like a systematic theology in Judaism or a creed, you know, or a, like a doctrinal statement, exactly. Uh, and so resurrection, the concept of resurrection is a very important part of, the, of hi historically Jewish uh, belief. Uh, but it is not accentuated really at all uh, anymore. Uh, and of course, uh, since the uh, coming of the Messiah and then the establishment of the historic church, the idea of resurrection has kind of, you know, for good reason, in a, you know, been co-opted as like a Christian belief, you, you, you know, as opposed to a Jewish belief. But that is not the case at all. You know, uh, that resurrection is a Jewish belief. No one believed in resurrection of the dead. There, people believed in being resuscitated or being reincarnated, but nobody believed in being uh, resurrected except the Jews. Uh, and, uh, and so it should come as no surprise that in, uh, you know, in the faith of Yeshua, uh, this is a, uh, the, the cornerstone uh, e event uh, that took place. And that is why in the Brit Chadashah and in the book of Acts, the resurrection was the subject of uh, almost every speech, but especially, and this is a little bit of coming attractions, uh, but especially the early speeches, because the early speeches are written to Jewish people. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 7, and Acts chapter 13. Uh, those speeches are written to Jewish people. And they focus on the resurrection. Uh, because Jews believe that if the end of the ages have come, that means that there's a resurrection. And so the resurrection of Yeshua is the quintessential event that demonstrated the beginning of the new age. The resurrection of Yeshua is how we understand his death, how we interpret his death. Without the resurrection, 
His death would have been just the train that went off the tracks and that was the end of it. Without the resurrection, Yeshua would have been always known as one of those Jewish miracle workers of the late Second Temple period. That's it. Okay. So his resurrection interprets for us his life, gives meaning to his life. The resurrection gives meaning to his death. And the resurrection gives meaning to everything that comes afterwards. Uh, in uh, uh, the Siddur, uh, if you ever read a traditional Siddur, just read it, which would be a good thing, by the way. You know, a traditional Siddur is a lot thicker than the one we use, right? It has just a lot, a lot, a lot, 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 lot more in it, right? Uh, and one of the things that you notice when you read it is that the prayers are either praises or looking forward to the end. You know, like when we sing the Alenu, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is to be praised and all that. That, I, that is sort of the gist of so many of the prayers. So, of course, Marcy read the second prayer of the, uh, of the Amidah, which talks about resurrection, believing in resurrection uh, of the dead. And then uh, there's another prayer that uh, we, don't, we don't usually say, Techazena Einenu. And why do we know that? Techazena Einenu. It's a great, uh, it's a great little um, coming at the end of, uh, after Vashamru and a few other things. But in English, it's, May we see with our eyes your return to Zion in compassion. Blessed are you, Lord, whose presence is the restoration of Zion. I mean, the, this is what is on the lips of Jewish people, uh, frankly, every day. If a person is uh, a very religious, they, they, they say this every single day, every single day of their lives. It's not like a Monday through Friday thing. You know what I mean? Uh, every single day. Uh, always looking forward to the restoration of David, to the restoration of the throne of David, to the restoration of the temple. Uh, and that's why in the second paragraph of the Amidah, uh, the subject matter is uh, resurrection, thanking God for resurrection. So, therefore, again, it should come as no surprise of how important a concept uh, resurrection uh, is. Okay? I, and, and, of course, in, in Judaism, it's the, re the resurrection of the the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of this world, the resurrection uh, of Jewish uh, ancient uh, uh, worship. Uh, and as we'll see uh, in the Tanakh, uh, the, uh, a, a, a day of peace, a day of unity for the world, all the things that people in our world want but have no idea how to obtain, God promises via, uh, via resurrection. In the, the Brit Hadashah, in the book of Romans, in the first chapter, the very beginning, uh, at the very beginning of it, Paul lays out, you know, the, the coming of the Messiah, that, that uh, the coming of Yeshua is, you know, the promised king of Israel. He says here in Romans chapter 1, Paul, a bondservant of Messiah Yeshua, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord. 
Uh, and so Yeshua is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. He doesn't become the Son of God uh, by the resurrection. He already is. But he is declared the Son of God. Make known he, he is the Son of God. Now, remember that at that time, Son of God meant king. Meant king. The, the messianic king. Right? We don't have time to turn to Psalm 2. You can read it. You'll learn all about it. Right? Uh, that uh, by the resurrection, Yeshua is declared the ki- king, king, Messiah. Uh, and so how important is it, uh, therefore, for us to celebrate the inauguration of the kingship of, of the Messiah, one could say, uh, by, uh, by his resurrection? Uh, and then, of course, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we're going to look at a couple of passages in chapter 2 and in chapter 13, where uh, both Peter and Paul articulate this, that the resurrection and the kingship go hand in hand. Now, I'm going to tell you that this, this is kind of new revelation, not completely. The kingship uh, of the Messiah and the Alam Haba is not new. Uh, but the death and resurrection of the Messiah, this was uh, something that God had to open up the eyes of the people to see. Okay, uh, But it is very important for us to get that from the outset, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of the Messiah and his kingship uh, are uh, intricately uh, connected. In chapter 2, in verse 24, this is Peter's uh, speech. We know who he's talking to. It says, men of Israel, right? So we know that. So he's talking about David, right? And he says, uh, God, uh, and he's talking about, of course, the Messiah. He says, um, in verse, uh, oh, 22, let's start from there. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Yeshua the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man God delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope. Because that will not abandon my soul to uh, Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou will make known full, will make me full of gladness in thy presence. Okay, that's what David says in Psalm 16. Anyway, then it says, Brethren, may I confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is, is with us to this day. It's a great line. Uh, you just got to wonder what his tone of voice was when he actually said that. You know, there might have been a little chuckle there. I don't, I don't know, okay? Uh, and so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Yeshua God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you both see and hear. And we can stop there. We're going to talk in 50 days about what he poured forth. Uh, 
but for right now, it's just the issue of the resurrection. And that the, uh, the death and resurrection, what, what Peter is doing is he's tying together the death and resurrection of the Messiah and the kingship of the Messiah. So what he's saying to these people is, the king has come. Messiah, king Messiah has come, and we know it because he's raised from the dead. That's how we know it. Okay? Now, uh, a little more about coming attractions. Peter seems to say over and over again, whom you nailed to a cross, or whom you crucified. And usually when people teach on that, it's like they're saying, whom you crucified. You know what I mean? But that is not his point. His point is not condemning them for crucifying. His point is to say, he's supposed to be dead. Remember, you killed him. He's dead. Remember, you killed him. He's dead, but he's not dead. He's alive from the dead. I said, whoa, what? This is like new information, right? They did not all see him, right? And so the preaching of the resurrection was like, wait a minute. I, he's dead. How could he be? What do you mean he's not? He's, not whom you, he's alive. And this is the good news, that he is indeed alive. And then in chapter 13, Paul is uh, speaking. The message by chapter 13 is actually already moving toward the Gentiles. But anyway, in chapter 13, again, Paul says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, okay, listen. And then in verse 32, he says this, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, in that he raised up Yeshua as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised them up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, That will not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. He ties together Psalm 2 uh, and uh, Psalm 16. For David, after he had served the purpose of God, in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among the fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised up did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brother, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things which you could not be freed of through the uh, law of Moses. Now, what Paul is doing here, now Peter does it too, but we didn't, I didn't want to keep reading more of that. But Paul does it very clearly. He ties together the kingship of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah, and the forgiveness of sins. It's all tied together. Because the resurrection of the Messiah gives meaning to the death of Yeshua. Okay? Again, without the resurrection, Yeshua's death would have just been meaningless, and we would be, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the most to be pitied. Because it would have all been for nothing. You know? But because he rose from the dead, we recognize that he defeated death in his death. And we see here the beginnings of the understanding. Uh, Paul will uh, uh, take this apart in some of his letters. But we see here in this speech that the forgiveness of sins comes through Yeshua in what's called the finished work of Messiah, in his death and resurrection. And then we'll see in his ascension and pouring out of the Ruach. Uh, but, so we, we see here the, the importance of that resurrection. His resurrection means 
that he is indeed the Messianic king. It means he defeated death. It means that he is the first fruits of all who will be raised from the dead. It means the beginning of the new age. It means the beginning of Jeremiah's new covenant. It means the forgiveness of our sins. And so it is something that was accentuated uh, 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 to these people, uh, to these Jewish people, because that's how they understood the Olam Haba, the beginning of the Olam Haba. Now, later on, uh, we read about uh, the hope uh, of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the return of the Lord uh, and, the hope, and, and the hope that the resurrection uh, indeed uh, uh, brings because it's so tied in indeed to Israel's, uh, Israel's future. The hope of the future for Paul was Israel's hope, uh, the hope of a restored Jerusalem, the hope that we read about in the prophets of a new heaven and a new earth and, uh, you know, uh, and peace and, uh, and kindness uh, uh, and unity uh, in, in the world. Uh, and there are many passages, of course, uh, that talk about this hope. Uh, and it is a theme that, uh, that we uh, indeed read about. So in the Tanakh, uh, we read about, for example, a new heaven and new earth in Isaiah 65 and 66. You can read them. I have the verses down here. We won't take the time. Isaiah 65, 17, 66, 22, a new heaven and a new earth. We read about all the nations coming to Jerusalem. This all happens when there's the resurrection of the dead, okay, I, I, and, and many other things. Now, one of my favorite passages is this. It's in Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, and I want to turn to this for a particular reason. When I was, when I was a kid, I went to, uh, you know, a, a, a Jewish day camp. And uh, when we were making those s'mores and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, we sang a song. Now, like everything else, I knew it in Hebrew, but it wasn't until about 15 to 20 years later uh, that I understood the, the meaning of the, of the song. And the song is like this great song. It's, it's sort of like Hine Matov in the sense of like a Jewish folk song, you know, that you just sing it at uh, fun times. And it is indeed the, uh, in chapter 2 of... Uh, uh, of Isaiah in verse 4, uh, it is uh, the very end of the verse. So I'm going to read the whole verse. And he will judge between nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into, prowning, into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. What a passage. This is all about the resurrection, Okay. This all happens when the dead are raised in that day, okay? So, you know, in, uh, in Hebrew, lo yisagoy el goy cherev, lo yilmedu od milchama. It's a great song. It's like, you know, then, then it's like in your head. You know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, what a, you know, imagine uh, we're singing, uh, like kids, we're singing this, right? Singing this. 
And it's talking about this great day that's going to come where there won't be any war and people won't even understand what the word means anymore. You, you know, uh, I mean, that is uh, so far beyond what any of us could ever think. But isn't that what the world really desires and, 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 and wants? Absolutely. That all comes with the resurrection, right? Uh, and of course, you know, uh, uh, so many other passages. If we turn to Zechariah chapter 14, turn to Zechariah 14. In Zechariah chapter 14, so at the beginning it says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the, women's rav the women ravaged, and half the city exiled. But the rest, of the, the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against the nations when he fights in a day of uh, battle. And in that, day, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's where, you, oh, that's where that comes from. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem and on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So half the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know just what that looks like. Just what that will look like. Okay? When you're standing on the southern steps of the temple, you look to your left. There's the Mount of Olives. Okay? And then it would be... Like, wow, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing uh, thing that we read. And then you read about all kinds of supernatural things taking place, just like you read about in, in the book of Revelation, which is not a coincidence, okay? And then it says, as a great verse in verse 8, And it will come about in that day that living waters, Mayim Chaim, will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea, in summer as well as winter. The terrain is going to change. It's such, a, it's such an unbelievable day, okay? And by the way, when you read Psalm 114, you know, the river runs backwards and, and all that, you see, that's, this is what God will do. And the Lord will be king over all the earth, not just in Jerusalem, not just king of Israel, but the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be one and his, and his name, the only one. There will be this tremendous unity that will come in that day. When is that day? That is the day of resurrection. That is the ultimate day of resurrection. Uh, and then if you jump down to verse uh, 16, it talks about Sukkot. But the point, uh, the only point I want to make there is that it will come about that all the nations who are left are going to go up to Jerusalem and worship this unity. You also read about it in Isaiah chapter 19, about Egypt and Assyria and Israel. Uh, you uh, read other passages, uh, for example, in Isaiah uh, 25, this is a great passage here, because not only will there be world peace and will there be unity, but there's going to be something else. In Isaiah 25, it says in verse 6, And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, refined aged wine, the best steaks you can find, right? And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stressed, stressed over all, stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. For the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. 
And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited or hoped, by the way. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. I don't have time to turn to Revelation 21, but read it because it's pretty much based on this. Uh, And there it says there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more sadness. Uh, And that is the great hope. The great hope associated uh, with, uh, with, the, uh, with the resurrection. Okay? That's why in the Brit Hadashah, uh, we read so much about hope. Now, I, normally you would think we would talk about, yes, hope for the future, but it's appropriated today. But that is all about the pouring out of the Ruach, okay? Uh, And that we will indeed talk about, but we need to talk about and make much of the future of what it is there is to look forward to. Sometimes we accentuate the present almost uh, to the absence of the future. But the future resurrection is very important. Uh, And so there are many verses in the New Covenant, where uh, Paul especially is encouraging people uh, regarding the future resurrection. Now, before we look at a couple of them, we need to understand Yeshua rose from the dead on Yom HaBikurim, right? The Feast of First Fruits. And so we read in uh, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Yeshua is the first fruits, right? Uh, Yeshua is the first fruits. In the ancient times, when they would bring the first fruits, this early spring harvest, they would bring it, thanking God for it, but with an understanding and belief and trust that a full harvest was coming, right? You know that. And so, the resurrection of Yeshua assures, first, Israel, of a future resurrection. On another day, in another year, we will talk about how the resurrection of Yeshua has so much to do with the land of Israel. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the, the promises, the unique promises of, uh, of, of Israel. But that's not for today. But the promise of future resurrection. When Yeshua rose from the dead, he assured all those things that we just read about, that they were indeed going to come. Okay, uh, And that's why it's so important that he's referred to as the first fruits and that he was raised from the dead on first fruits, an assurance of what's to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. You know, I always say this whenever I say anything from 2 Corinthians. This was Paul's, like one of his very last letters. It's an intimate letter. He's really pouring his heart out to, to these people. And when you compare this letter to like 1 Thessalonians, it's very interesting. There's, a, there's some real differences. By the time you get to 2 Corinthians, Paul understands that he's probably going to die before the consummation. In 1 Thessalonians, which is very early, he is sure that he's going to be the dead in Messiah will rise first, then we who are alive will meet them in the air. Now... He, he uh, is, uh, you know, in a whole different situation. 
Uh, and he now understands that he may very well die before the consummation. So it's very interesting. You know, sometimes we just read the Bible like it's a flat earth, don't we? Okay, anyway. So he's, then he says, by the way, do you ever feel that way? I just thought I'd throw that out, okay? Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, like we're going to die, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. How's that for believing the future? That, you know, we thought we really like had come to terms with the fact that we were going to die. But you know, it's okay, because our trust is in God who raises the dead. So it's okay, whichever way it goes, because he raises the dead. So I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it now, that he was able to be encouraged when that was happening. In other words, what I'm not saying is, so it's okay if you die, don't worry about it. If you die, you die. That may be true, but he, was encouraged. he had a quality of life, even though his life was in danger and he didn't know what the future held, he had a quality of life about him because he knew that God raises the dead and that the day would come when he would be raised from the dead. And he wasn't talking about his flesh and spirit here. He's talking about the day would come in the future. And he put a lot of stock in that. And his hope, yes, it had a present reality, but what he's talking about is that future reality. Who delivered, uh, then he says, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have, what? Set our hope. We have set our hope in him. Okay. I just wanted to make that point. That's what he's saying. We despaired of our lives. We thought we were going to die. But you know, all that happened so we could trust God more because he's the one who raises us from the dead. And it's on him in whom we have set our hope. Okay. In Colossians 1, he's encouraged. He's in verses 3, 4, and 5. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, praying for you always. Since we heard of your faith in Messiah Yeshua and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul is thankful they have trusted in the future resurrection, and it has affected their lives in the quality of life in which they live right now, despite the heartache, the tsuris, unspeakable woes because of the hope laid up for them of which you previously heard in the word of truth. Okay. Uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, but in a different verse than what Randy read, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, in verse um, 13, Therefore gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua. That's at the end. That is when the Lord returns. When the Lord returns is going to be the resurrection, the, the resurrection of the dead. Fix your hope on that great, uh, on that great truth. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 6, the book of Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Yeshua has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
an anchor of the uh, soul. And so the future resurrection uh, is, uh, is indeed uh, our hope. The future resurrection is indeed uh, what we wait for. Because in that day, glory will be revealed. In that day, uh, uh, death will indeed be ultimately uh, uh, defeated. Uh, and that is indeed what hope is. In Romans, uh, in Romans chapter uh, 8, we look forward. It's very interesting the way uh, Paul writes. Again, uh, he writes from within the world of Jewish belief. Okay? Like I said uh, last night in MSI class, he's not writing as like a Christian scholar centuries later looking back. Uh, you know, he's writing as a Jew who has come to faith in his Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, and recognize that in his resurrection, the Messiah has come and it is the beginning of the Olam Haba. It is the beginning of, indeed, the world to come. Uh, and, and in the resurrection, we have that hope. Okay. So, you know, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know, Paul uses sometimes just lots of words, and it's like just we're worded. It's just boom, words, right? What he's doing is he is echoing all those promises in the Tanakh about the creation. I, oh, there's so many verses. We could talk about how in the Arava, the desert will bloom. You know, let me tell you something. We might say, oh, the desert is blooming now. Not, maybe a little bit. So, you know, when I was in Israel, I drove all through the Arava. The Arava, technically, there's two words used for the desert, right? The Negev and the Arava. It's actually two different parts. Of, of the desert, okay? The Arava is the part that's like right, right around the Dead Sea and south that in the borders today would be like right along the Jordanian border. Uh, that part of the desert. The other part of the desert, like you know, near the Mediterranean and toward the center and, and south, is Negev. Arava is a little bit over. And boy, it is desolate, except for hothouses or greenhouses uh, where uh, they grow things. But in that day, again, just like in Jerusalem, the weather patterns are going to change. The, uh, the rivers are going to flow the other direction. Uh, we didn't read about it, but predators are going to become friends, right? Natural predators. Wolves and lambs are going to become friends. And a little boy will lead them, Right? Today, if a little boy got near uh, a wolf, it would be very bad, right? And so the whole world is going to be redeemed. The earth itself is going to be redeemed. See, this is what hope is. Remember from Shabbat? It's not optimism. Look out there. It's not optimistic, okay? The world, the, the physical world, the ecology of the world is not in good shape. Entropy, things come apart, right? That is not going to, it's all going to go the other way. Isn't that great? The whole earth is going to be restored. You know, and of course, 
If you're uh, from Cleveland, you know that there's a taste of that, that the Cuyahoga River actually is clean now. You know what I mean? But recognize that, you remember, right? The river that burns, right? Yes. Uh, that, that the whole world is going to be restored. The earth, the curse is going to be lifted on the earth. And uh, people are all going to get along and no diseases, uh, and we will have new bodies. And Paul uses a phrase, birth pangs. That is a, <laughs> that is a Jewish euphemism for the destruction that's going to come just before the Messiah reveals himself, right? What people generally call a tribulation in Jewish literature is called birth pangs of the Messiah. And Paul uses it in this passage. He's a Jew using Jewish terminology and euphemisms. And he was suffering for the faith. He was suffering. When he became a believer, his life actually physically did not get better. Okay? It, it was not good. Okay? But he had such a strong trust in the future that, hey, I'm living above the fray. I'm staying above the fray. You know, because I know indeed what the future holds, regardless of what happens, uh, what happens now. And again, in uh, one last passage, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm just going to read the, the end of it, okay? Verses 50 to 58. I say this then, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, okay? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. I'm going to stop there. So what he's saying is, yes, this day is going to come. But the present reality of that is death has been conquered. And we know that in his resurrection, death has been conquered. And so if you have a loved one that, that knew the Lord, passed away, death has been conquered they are with the Lord. Now, you know, the billion trillion dollar question is, so what happens between the time when somebody dies and the resurrection, right? Well, you know, you name it. There's a lot of different uh, views on that, right? Remember Gary, Gary Alcorn, whatever that guy's name is, Alcorn, he wrote a book. Randy, Randy Alcorn, right? His view when reading that book is almost like it's like you're really having the resurrection right after you die. So that might not be exactly how it is. Other people would say you're sleeping with Yeshua, like sort of in the, like the Matrix, you know what I remember? Like sleeping with Yeshua, maybe. But you know what? I'm a, I am a simple person. And what did Paul say? He made a little statement, and it's good enough for me. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And whatever that means, it is really great. Okay? Whatever that means, it is really great. Okay? So just know that. 
and be comforted by that. And don't feel like you've got to cross every T and dot every I because mystery is a wonderful thing when it comes to knowing, uh, when it comes to knowing God, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so how important is that? There's another thing we need to get from this. And because this is not a series of messages and I need to stop, um, here's the other thing that none of this says. You notice it says that the dead will put on the imperishable, okay? Uh, and also in a very famous passage in, because I even have it in my notes here, in Philippians uh, chapter 3, when you read um, uh, in verses 20 and 21, when you read all these passages about what will happen uh, at the resurrection, and including this one, because this one we need to read. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Messiah, uh, Yeshua, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself, which he says in Ephesians and which he says in 1 Corinthians. In this passage, when we, the reason I quote this is because when we usually say our citizenship is in heaven, the next thing is that means that the day is going to come when we'll be in heaven and, and uh, you know, we won't be here anymore, Okay. So here is really great news. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we fly away. Now, it says that in a song, <laughs> right? But we don't fly away. What happens is our citizenship is in heaven, and then it says we wait for Yeshua to come <laughs> and transform us, okay? And it talks about a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, Jerusalem, accentuating the promise of, of Israel, Okay? Uh, and, 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 and it talks about having changed bodies. And it talks about that desert in Israel blossoming and blooming. And it talks about all nations coming to Jerusalem. That's here. A restored world. A restored way of life. The way it was always meant to be. And so, therefore, in the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the last verse, usually this verse gets lopped off uh, because I, I, it's not talking specifically uh, about like uh, a resurrect, the resurrection. And one might think that the last verse, after all has been after the first 57 verses, talking about the resurrection, one might think that he's going to say, and so just wait, wait until you go. Wait for it to happen. But it's not what he says. He says, therefore, Given the fact that Yeshua has come, that the Messiah has come, he's been raised from the dead, he's the first fruits of those who sleep, that we're going to have imperishable bodies, that the dead are going to be raised. Therefore, with that great truth, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Wow, what he's saying is, no matter what you're doing, you're serving the Lord, you don't see all the, you're getting persecuted, or life has taken a left turn, or you've been dealt a hand that you didn't expect, and that you're kind of down, and you're regretting things, uh, and you're disappointed, and you got service in your life, because when I look around this room, I, I, I hate to say it, I know, I know. I know that what's behind everybody's, well, not most everybody, most everybody's smile. I know. 
what's there. And, it, and as they say, it ain't pretty. It's tough. But know that your toil is not in vain. Know that the suffering that you're suffering for whatever reason as a Messiah follower is not in vain. God knows it. And the resurrection, just like the resurrection of Yeshua gave meaning to his sufferings, knowing that there is a future day, a real day when we will really continue our life forever, that your suffering today matters. And it is not inconsequential. And it is meaningful. And how you respond to whatever it is you're dealing with is meaningful in light of the Alam Haba in which you have begun to live. I have a book by D.A. Carson. I'll finish with this. D.A. Carson, interesting writer. He wrote a book a long time ago called How Long, O Lord? And it's about suffering and evil in the world and all that kind of stuff. So there's a chapter in there called A View from the End. Actually, it's called From the Vantage of the End is the name of the chapter. And it's about that when suffering comes and we don't know why and it seems so random or indiscriminate or we feel like we have failed or we, we're just disappointed and it's hard to go on and we're depressed about the sta status uh, of our life, recognize who you are and where you are and, and where you live and view it all from the point of view of the Olam Haba. That, wow, you know, I'm living in a day when I, have, when I am beginning to experience the world to come. There is a great future. It's a great future. That's what hope is. It's not based on how things are right now, okay? It's based on the promise of God and the resurrection of Yeshua. And that is why that resurrection is so powerful and so important uh, for us to live in and why Paul could say our hope is anchored in it and though no matter what's going on we, we despaired to the point of death we thought we were going to die but you know what we're able to get through it because we know in whom we believe and he raises us up from the dead and so may we be encouraged no matter where we are death is defeated in Messiah Yeshua we still suffer the pangs of the childbirth. We still suffer the, uh, from the, uh, uh, the sin uh, that uh, um, is so prevalent in the world. But recognize that, that uh, our hope, our future is in Messiah Yeshua. And so therefore, uh, as we'll learn on Shavuot, that now we actually live the future now. You know, we live out the future uh, now. And so it's kind of like the more we live that future hope now, when we get there, it's like back to the future, you know? And, uh, and so uh, may we be uh, encouraged. Uh, the resurrection, in closing, is not just about proving it. It's not just about proving it. It's not just about arguing it. It's about believing it, trusting it. Uh, when you go home tonight, read that passage in 1 Peter that uh, Randy read and ask yourself this question. Do I really believe it? Do I really believe there's an inheritance uh, you know, uh, awaiting me and this, was, this encourages me uh, even though I'm going through trials right now? Do I really believe it or do I not believe it? And if you don't believe it, don't throw in the towel. Like if you're saying, I have a hard time believing this. Okay, drill down on this. Pray 
for a return to the simplicity of devotion to Yeshua. Forget about everything else. Forget about proving everything. Forget about the, the, just the basic simplicity of devotion to Yeshua. Lord, I love you. Lord, convict my heart of this truth. Give me your comfort, Lord. And he will. And he will. You all received that email, right? Early this morning. Uh, about today, I hope that some of us uh, engaged in the spiritual discipline of self-denial, which is very powerful when it's a spiritual discipline, you know, whether it's food or other things, whatever it might be. And I hope that we engaged somewhat in, in prayer for ourselves, for Beth Messiah, because we as a community, we need communally to have that hope. We need to live in that hope of, of that future. And it begins with a return to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Messiah. Pray for a wholehearted life and devotion uh, 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 to him. And let us repent of, of engaging in things that keep getting in the way of it. Repenting is, not a, is, is a very good thing as a community and as individuals. And so may the resurrection of Messiah really, really make a difference in our thoughts, in our thinking, in our living, and in our unspeakable joy that Peter talks about. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we'd indeed look forward to that day. Come, Lord Yeshua. We look forward to that day, Lord. But Lord, whenever it happens, thank you for the reality of the resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have, which is an anchor of our soul, Lord. And may, uh, may we think about it. May we remember it. May we read these verses. May they become part of our lives so that no matter what's going on, we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about the future and living it out today, but thinking about the hope that awaits us. Indeed, that new heaven, new earth, redeemed bodies, new relationships. We thank you in Yeshua's name.